January the 2nd, it is the Feast of Saints Basil the Great and Gregory Nazianzen. Jesus Christ is worthy of all praise, for he was appointed high priest among men and their representative before God. We honor him, and in our weakness we pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Bring salvation to your people, Lord. You marvelously illuminated your church through distinguished leaders and holy men and women. Let Christians rejoice always in such splendor. You forgave the sins of your people when their holy leaders like Moses sought your compassion. Through their intercession, continue to purify and sanctify your holy people. In the midst of their brothers and sisters, you anointed your holy ones and filled them with the Holy Spirit. Fill all the leaders of your people with the same spirit. God, our Father, you inspired the church with the example and teaching of your saints, Basil and Gregory. In humility, may we come to know your truth and put it into action with faith and love. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good morning. Welcome to the first live edition of the Sunrise Morning Show in 2024. So happy to have you along with us. Hope you had a blessed octave of Christmas, a blessed new year. And we are happy to be diving into this new year with you here on the Sunrise Morning Show. I'm Anna Mitchell coming to you from the studios of Sacred Heart Catholic Radio in Cincinnati, Ohio. Matt Swaim is kicking off the new year in sickness. And actually, you might be able to hear in my voice, so am I. But I am upright and here to be with you, Paul Hockman at the controls for us. He's really running the show today. Thanks, Paul. Happy New Year. Up this hour, we'll take a look at this week in Catholic history with our Catholic historian, Kevin Schmeezing. Mike Aquilina will join us to talk about today's saints, Basil and Gregory, who had a rather interesting friendship. Dr. Jared Stout will continue our series on his book, how the Eucharist can save civilization. And we'll finish up the hour with Father Sebastian Walsh getting more basics on the Beatitudes. Hope you can stick around for the entire hour ahead. Right now, it's two minutes past and it's time for news. Dramatic images of a Japan Airlines plane engulfed in flames are making the rounds this morning. Flight 516 apparently collided with a Japanese Coast Guard aircraft as it was attempting to land at a Tokyo airport, then streaked across the runway on fire. The airline says the nearly 380 passengers and crew members were all able to evacuate. However, five members of the Coast Guard crew are unaccounted for. The Israel-Hamas war rages on in the Gaza Strip. Mark Mayfield has more. An Israeli forces spokesman has suggested that the military offensive in Gaza could last throughout 2024 as their forces are getting ready for prolonged fighting. This comes as tensions in the Middle East were raised over the weekend after U.S. helicopters traded fire with Iran-backed Houthi rebels in the Red Sea. It's also as Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu continues to push back against any calls for a ceasefire between his country and Hamas. I'm Mark Mayfield. The Latin Patriarch of Jerusalem celebrated Mass for the Solemnity of Mary, Mother of God, and the World Day of Peace yesterday. 
speaking in his homily about the courage and madness of peace. The Catholic News Agency reports Cardinal Pierre Battista Pizzaballo said, quote, Jesus did not solve any of the social and political problems of his time, but he did reveal a way which is still the way forward for those who want to build contexts of peace, even here today in our troubled and conflict-ridden Middle East encounter. He said, I am more and more convinced that in this complex context, the main vocation and mission of the small Christian community is precisely this, to cherish the desire for encounter, to cultivate freedom in relation to all, to overcome ethnic, religious, and identity boundaries. He said, it is my dream and it is the madness that I would like to share with all the small and beloved church in Jerusalem, end quote. Pope Francis celebrated Mass yesterday for the Solemnity of Mary, Mother of God, and in his homily, encouraged the faithful to entrust the year to her, saying that with her tender love, she will lead us to Jesus. From Vatican Radio, Thaddeus Jones reports. The Pope illustrated the meaning of the expression, the fullness of time, we read in the scriptures, and how divine grace spills over when God becomes man through Mary. Le parole madre di Dio. The words, Mother of God, the Pope explained, express the joyful certainty that the Lord, a tiny child in his mama's arms, has united himself forever to our humanity, to the point that it's no longer only ours, but his as well, the Lord's eternal covenant with us. Mother of God, a dogma of faith, but also a dogma of hope, the Pope said, God in man and man in God forever. At the same time, the Pope emphasized that we should remember that the motherhood of Mary is the path leading us to the paternal tenderness of God, the closest, most direct, and easiest of paths. The Church also needs to rediscover in Mary, Virgin and Mother, how to be generative with pastoral ministry distinguished by concern and care, patience and maternal courage, said the Pope. And the world could also look to mothers and women for ways to find peace in our world and see things with genuinely human eyes and hearts. Maria, la donna. The Pope then spoke about how Mary plays a decisive role also in each of our own lives, as no one knows better than a mother the stages of growth and the urgent needs of her children. The Pope said, Mary knows our needs. She intercedes to make grace overflow in our lives and to guide them to authentic fulfillment. In conclusion, the Pope said, may this year be filled with the consolation of the Lord. Antetis Jones. Pope Francis offered prayers for the persecuted church in Nicaragua during his Angelus address yesterday. The Catholic News Agency reports this coming in the wake of the abduction of four priests on December 28th and 29th, their whereabouts are still unknown. The Holy Father said he was following with deep concern what was happening in Nicaragua. He said, I expressed to them, their families, and the entire church in the country my closeness in prayer. The makers of a formula for babies with allergies to cow's milk are recalling the product over possible bacteria contamination. Corporate leaders with Reckitt Mead Johnson say some batches of their Nutramagen powder are affected. The recall applies to some 12.6 and 19.8 ounce cans of formula with a use-by date of January 1st, 2025. And the stage is set for the college football national 
championship game. Top-ranked Michigan will meet second-ranked Washington in this year's title game after both won semifinals on New Year's Day. The Wolverines knocked off fourth-ranked Alabama in overtime, 27-20 at the Rose Bowl to earn their first-ever trip to the CFP title game. The Huskies held on to beat third-ranked Texas, 37-31 in the Sugar Bowl, also earning their first ticket to the CFP championship. Those were two very, very good games. Very enjoyable to watch. Today is a Tuesday, January the 2nd, and we are happy to have you along with us here on the Sunrise Morning Show to kick off 2024. It's nine past. It's time for our weekly look at this week in Catholic history here in a new year on the Sunrise Morning Show and our Catholic historian, Kevin Schmeising, here as always for it. Good morning, Kevin. Good morning, Anna. So let's start in 1861 and the organization of papal zoovs. What is that? (laughs) That's right. Well, my Catholic History Trek co-host, Scott, did an episode a while back on papal military forces. The Swiss Guard, certainly the best known today, but there have been others, and we're looking at one this week, the beginning of the papal zoovs. In the mid-19th century, a movement gained steam to unite the various pieces of Italy into a single nation. This would involve, among other things, destroying the papal states, a region in central Italy that had been ruled by the Pope for more than a thousand years. So as pressure from Italian revolutionaries built, the Pope saw the need to increase his military defenses. Now, the Papal States had an army, but it wasn't very impressive. So Pius IX recruited a French general, Louis de la Mauricière, to whip his fighting force into shape. De Mauricière decided to recruit volunteers from around the world, Catholic men who would be wholeheartedly devoted to defending the papacy. The unit, initially composed mostly of French and Belgian noblemen, was organized in 1860 and at first known by a French title, meaning basically Franco-Belgian fighters. They were vanquished in their first battle, but on January 1st, this week, 1861, they were reorganized with distinctive new uniforms and a new name, the Papal Zouaves, named after a type of infantry in the French army at the time. There were 600 soldiers to begin with, now from all over the world, growing to a peak of nearly 5,000 in 1868. There were a few Americans among them, most notably John Surratt, who served briefly in 1866 until he was recognized and arrested for his role in the assassination of Abraham Lincoln. Under their banner of papal colors, the yellow and white, with an image of the Sacred Heart, the Zouaves fought bravely in a number of battles during the Risorgimento, that's Italian unification, But of course, theirs was a losing cause. With the surrender of the Papal States in 1870, the group was disbanded. So if you want to go fight for the Pope today, you'll have to find a different way. The organization of the Papal Zouaves was this week in 1861. I'm sure somebody will find out or figure out a way to to band together like you were just saying. Now, let's look uh, just what, 13 years later, 1874, and the appointment of a Catholic Indian commissioner. Yeah, the same time period, the first Catholic Indian commissioner, his name was Charles Ewing, appointed this week in 1874. As regular listeners will know, Catholic missionaries were active among the indigenous people of the Americas almost from the moment that Columbus arrived here. In the United States, by the mid-19th century, Native Americans had been clustered onto reservations or agencies across the country, but concentrated in the Plains region, especially Oklahoma. 
In the 1870s, under the Grant administration, the government decided to assign each agency to a particular Christian denomination. It was thought that this would both enhance religious practice among the Indians and also minimize denominational competition, which had been taking place between the various Christian churches. Unfortunately, federal officials weren't exactly neutral in their calculations of which tribes should be assigned to which church. Catholic missions got only a fraction of the spots they deserved, with the result, according to one estimate, that 80,000 Catholic Indians were placed under the management of Protestant missionaries. So this spurred the Catholic bishops to action on January 2nd, this week in 1874. Archbishop Bailey of Baltimore appointed Charles Ewing, a former Union Army General from Ohio, to be the bishop's commissioner for Indian missions, to represent in Washington the interests of the Catholic Church and of Catholic Indians. This was the genesis of what would become the Bureau of Catholic Indian Missions, which has supported Catholic Native American missions ever since. It still exists today as part of the Black and Indian Mission Office, a Catholic charity sponsored by the bishops of the United States. Charles Ewing, the first Catholic Indian commissioner, this week in 1874. Good stuff from Kevin Schmeising this week. You can find him through the Freedom and Virtue Institute. Listen to his listen to his Catholic History Trek podcast, which is linked at Sunrise Morning Show, alongside his book, A Catholic Pilgrimage Through American History. Kevin, as always, thank you so much. Thank you, Anna. You bet. All right, let's take a look at weather across the nation. There could be a few lingering showers across the Delmarva Peninsula in southern Maryland, southeastern Virginia, and eastern North Carolina in the morning. Some flurries or very light snow showers could also stick around in the northern and central Appalachians early in the day. The far upper Mississippi Valley and upper Great Lakes will see some flurries or light snow showers today. Expect scattered rain showers or a mix of rain and snow for the far southern Rockies and southern high plains this morning. Steady or light to moderate rain and perhaps a few thunderstorms will then be found across Texas and the lower Mississippi Valley during the afternoon and evening. Rain will become increasingly likely across western Washington State, western Oregon, and northern and central California throughout the day. Expect light to moderate snow for the Cascades, while heavy snow is possible for the Sierra Nevada. The interior northwest and parts of the Great Basin will likely see wet snow or a rain-snow mix. There could also be freezing drizzle or light freezing rain that mixes in. A few other spots staying quiet including the Central Rockies, the Plains, and the Midwest. Wow, that was a lot of weather today. It took the whole music bed and more. Stay safe out there. Quarter past now on the Sunrise Morning Show. We're back with headlines right after this. Are you looking for peace? Longing for joy? Want to meet the giver of all goodness? God is calling the laity to bring Ignatian prayer into a suffering world. Work for the new evangelization. Go to lordteachmetopray.com. Order your free digital training and manual. Find true happiness and everlasting joy. Go to lordteachmetopray.com. And click on the red button today. It's free. Approved by the USCCB. For more than 150 years, the Comboni missionaries have traveled to nearly every corner of the world. Founded by St. Daniel Comboni, we are an international Catholic organization dedicated to ministering the world's poorest and most abandoned people. Your donations make a huge impact, and 95% are used to fund our many projects. Find out more at ComboniMissionaries.org. That is ComboniMissionaries.org. 
If the cold winter mornings make you want to stay in bed, it's time to get some Mystic Monk coffee or tea to help make kicking off the covers a little easier. And when you head to their site by clicking the link at sunrisemorningshow.com, you earn us a commission on your purchase without spending anything extra. While you're at our site, be sure to check out our online store where you can buy Sunrise Morning Show mugs and travel mugs. Get a mug and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. That's sunrisemorningshow.com. Are you a new listener to EWTN Radio? Welcome. We're here for you 24-7. You'll hear live and interactive shows throughout the day to answer any questions you may have about the Catholic faith. There's trustworthy news from a Catholic perspective. And a large selection of podcasts available at EWTN's Podcast Central. And, of course, the Daily Mass, prayers, and everything you need to edify your soul. Welcome to EWTN Radio. We're blessed to have you with us. 17 past now on the Sunrise Morning Show. Let's take a look at headlines. Israel will be withdrawing several thousand troops from the Gaza Strip. That according to the IDF making the announcement yesterday. The Latin Patriarch of Jerusalem, Cardinal Pierre Padista Pizzaballa, celebrated Mass for the Solemnity of Mary, Mother of God, and the World Day of Peace yesterday, speaking in his homily about the courage and madness of peace. And in a special Angelus address for the feast day yesterday, Pope Francis encouraged everyone to place the new year under the care of the Blessed Mother. Next newscast coming up in, what, 13-ish minutes from now at the bottom of the hour as the Sunrise Morning Show continues here on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Goodness, you come back I don't know, maybe um, many of you probably had to work at some point between Christmas and New Year, but I did not. And so I stayed away from, you know, Twitter and Facebook and all the news and, you know, just kind of enjoyed time with my family and whatnot and come back and start getting caught up on everything that has happened in the past week and it's just a reminder of how blessed i am i hope that when you look around the world and see the situations in the holy land and in ukraine and in nicaragua that you and all other kinds of places i mean in nigeria as well i saw terrible news coming out of Nigeria at Christmas time, um, just continue to thank the Lord for the blessings that he has bestowed on you, whatever they are, even if we are in the midst of hard times ourselves, um, to always have that vision. This is something that I've been thinking about a lot these past few days, is to have this godlike vision, this heavenly vision, um, I was just recently telling my story about my daughter, Roma, who, what now, I guess it's four years ago now, was just coming off of brain surgery. And all of the little miracles that I was able to notice in the moment that really brought a lot of consolation and peace in the midst of a rather stressful situation, a five-year-old having brain surgery, and, and just how thin 
the veil is. Matt and I talk about this a lot. The veil is so thin between heaven and earth. And so I would encourage you, this is something that I'm encouraging myself in this new year, is to really try to get to know the saints better, more saints better. Um, Because when we know their stories, we can recognize when they're working in our lives. Um, I was reading a book by Sister Josephine Garrett recently on hope. And she made the point that oftentimes the saints pick us before we even know who they are. And so we should get to know as many of them as we can, because who knows who's going to jump into your life. And it's only in knowing how they operated in the past that we can recognize when they're operating today. So a little encouragement for the new year on the second day of 2024. It's 21 minutes past the hour. So starting to think outside the box to find new customers. You can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show. To find out how it works, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. This is Father Rob Jack with the Heart of St. Paul. Paul is known as a missionary and a preacher, but did you know that he was also a fundraiser? As he traveled to the different cities of Asia Minor and Greece, he took up a collection to be sent to Jerusalem. This collection was to be an act of charity towards the Christians who were there to show that not only do all the churches share the communion of Christ and the Holy Spirit, but they also help to provide for the material needs of each other. The point is this, he who sows sparingly will reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Each must do as he has made up his mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for the Lord loves the cheerful giver. God is always generous with his people, and he asks them to be generous as well. One reason is that it establishes a deeper communion with the broader, more universal church. In the archdiocese, some parishes have adopted a poor parish in another part of the world, and they send prayers as well as material things to help them. Not all of us can be missionaries or work with the poor or even run a radio station. But as St. Paul writes, we can be cheerful because our prayers and material gifts unite us with those who do these apostolic activities. And in that, we share in their mission, which is the mission of Jesus Christ, to spread his gospel through the world. And this is what we learn from the heart of St. Paul. The Sunrise Morning Show continues. I'm Matt Swain, joined now by Mike Aquilina from fathersofthechurch.com. And uh, we kick off the beginning of January, the beginning of the new year, with a double feast and a big one. Basil and Gregory. Mike, good morning. Morning, Matt. So I've known a lot of people over the years who are friends in school together. I've known a few people who are friends in school together, then go on to go to seminary and become ordained priests together. Don't really know anybody who has become bishops together with them and their (laughs) buddy. Uh, I don't know almost nobody except for the people we're talking about today who have gone on to become saints, fathers of the church, and doctors of the church together and share a feast day. This is rarefied (laughs) air. 
Really is. And uh, they had a most unusual friendship. They were both prodigies and they became close friends. Uh, you know, we have the lasting monument to their friendship in the uh, the funeral oration that Gregory delivered after Basil died. Um, he describes their friendship in, in the most striking terms. You know, he says that Basil was the wisest man he had ever known. And and he describes them the, in their friendship as one soul in two bodies. You know, that's how close they were from a very early age. Um, it, it really was a, a remarkable pairing, and it's really a model for friendship that, that, that lasts through the millennia. You know, their friendship is so close and their impact is so connected that whenever I'm talking about one, I have to check my notes to make <laughs> yes. sure that it wasn't... It wasn't Basil that did this. Like, I can't remember which one was the patriarch of Constantinople and which one's the father of Eastern monasticism, or if both is the same thing, you know, because their their stories run together and overlap so much. They do. And, and you know, both of them had such a strong effect on subsequent history. They, they're they giants in the history of the church because, you know, the church had been fighting the heresy of Arianism for a good half century at that point, and Arianism just seemed to get stronger. A council of the church had condemned it. All of these things had been arrayed against Arianism, and it seemed unbeatable. It just kept metastasizing. It kept mutating and persisting in dividing the, the flock of Jesus Christ. Both of those men played an important role. Uh, you know, Basil's is mostly political, you know, just finding how to fight the power because uh, the, the emperors were Arian, the state officials in his area were, were Arian, but so many of the bishops were too. And then it was Gregory who really did array the theological arguments in such a way that they were irrefutable. You needed a Basil, you needed a Gregory. Having the two of them work together as lifelong friends was just a masterstroke of providence. You know, when you talk about a masterstroke of providence, you can't just talk about these two guys who are buddies. I don't know what was in the water in Cappadocia at this time in church history, but there's just a pile of saints. If you look up the stories of Gregory and Basil, you start to find that basically like every single relative of theirs was saints too. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, and, and I don't want to idealize the situation on the other hand. Uh, you know, uh, Basil and Gregory had a troubled friendship. I would say it was a difficult friendship. It's not like they were brought together as a, as the perfect match for, for best friends forever. Uh, they really did have have different personalities and conflicting personalities. Basil was a man of action. He was able to get things done. He was the he had the personality that was suited for the office of bishop in his time. He had to be a schemer. He had to be decisive, right? And uh, and Gregory, on the other hand, really just wanted to be left alone. He was an indecisive man. It took him forever to think things through because he always could see the need on the other side. And uh, and so it, it, it took him forever to do things unless Basil was there pushing him into action. But then afterward, Gregory would resent Basil's intervention. And so they had this, this conflicted relationship as well. Gregory would usually go along. He tended to be passive that way. He was very passive to his father, and so he didn't follow his, his early inclinations and become a monk because his father insisted that he should not. But he was conflicted about it, and he resented his father's authority in his life. But then he did the same thing to Basil later on when Basil ordained him a bishop. Uh, he went along with it, but then he resented it later. They had two very different personalities. It made for 
a tumultuous friendship and, and eventually a fairly difficult break between the two of them. But in the end, Gregory, who, who delivered the eulogy for Basil, it's almost a book-length eulogy, had to admit that Basil was probably right about the whole thing and that he was probably the great instrument of, of providence in Gregory's life and in history. Well, you know that I don't like to think in counterfactuals, but you wonder if iron didn't sharpen iron in a completely unique and special way regarding these two men and what Basil would have been like if there wasn't Gregory or what Gregory yeah. would have been like if there wasn't Basil, if they were not meant to be there together at the same time, even when they rubbed against one another, how even their conflicts perhaps shaped them in, in, in ways that really were a gift to the church. That's it exactly. And that's the function of friendship between Christians today. We're there to make better Christians of the, of the friends who are in our lives and to allow them to make better Christians of us. If anyone's there in our life, even if they're much more virtuous than we are, we're there for their sake, to bring them closer to God. And, and they have the same role in our lives, even if they're new Christians. They're there to bring us closer to Jesus Christ. And finally, I guess the question I have is with Basil of Caesarea and Gregory of Nazianzen, which of them has the better nickname? Is it Basil's, which is the great, or is it Gregory's, which is just the theologian? <laughs> Boy, that's a toss-up, huh? <laughs> but but it, it is interesting that Gregory in the Eastern Church is one of only three figures who have been called the theologian, and one of them is the Apostle John. Uh, you know, there's this saying in the East that Gregory is the only one of the fathers who never taught error. So if there's a line in Gregory you're having difficulty with, it's probably because you the have problem, problem is with you. St. <laughs> Basil, St. Gregory, pray for us. Mike Aquilina, thanks so much. How do we find your works and learn more? Fathersofthechurch.com And you can find fathersofthechurch.com linked at sunrisemorningshow.com Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Matt. Of course, sunrisemorningshow.com is where you can find all of our guests that you hear on a daily basis here on the show. Half past the hour now on the Sunrise Morning Show, it's time for news. Israel will be withdrawing several thousand troops from the Gaza Strip. The IDF made the announcement yesterday, noting the growing toll the yet nearly three-month war has taken on the Israeli economy. More than 85% of Gaza's residents have been displaced from their homes, according to the United Nations, and the fighting has left more than 20,000 people dead. The Latin Patriarch of Jerusalem celebrated Mass for the Solemnity of Mary, Mother of God, and the World Day of Peace yesterday, speaking in his homily about the courage and the madness of peace. The Catholic News Agency reports Cardinal Pierre Battista Pizzaballo said, Quote, Jesus did not solve any of the social and political problems of his time, but he did reveal a way which is still the way forward for those who want to build contexts of peace, even here today in the troubled and conflict-ridden Middle East encounter, he said. I am more and more convinced that in this complex context, the main vocation and mission of the small Christian community is precisely this, to cherish the desire for encounter to cultivate freedom in relation to all, to overcome ethnic, religious, and identity boundaries. It is my dream, he said, and it is the madness that I would like to share with all this small and beloved church in Jerusalem, end quote. In a special Angelus address yesterday for the Feast of Mary, Mother of God, Pope Francis encouraged everyone to place the new year 
under the care of the Blessed Mother. From Vatican Radio, Devin Watkins reports. He noted that the day's gospel reading day Apparently that's not going to work right now. We'll try to return to it. But also during his Angelus address yesterday, Pope Francis offered prayers for the persecuted church in Nicaragua. The Catholic News Agency reports this coming in the wake of the abduction of four priests on December 28th and 29th, and their whereabouts are still unknown. The Holy Father said, I am following with deep concern what is happening in Nicaragua. He said, where bishops and priests have been deprived of their freedom, I express to them, their families, and the entire church in the country, my closeness in prayer, saying, I also invite all of you present here and all of the people of God to insistent prayer, while I hope that we will always seek the path of dialogue to overcome difficulties. Let's pray for Nicaragua today, end quote. And again, back to his catechesis, encouraging everyone to place the new year under the care of the Blessed Mother. Here's Devin Watkins. He noted that the day's gospel reading depicts Mary as remaining in a silence filled with wonder and adoration for the marvels that God is performing as the shepherds came to worship her son Jesus. Mary, said the Pope, makes room within herself for the one who is born. In silence and adoration, she places Jesus at the center and bears witness to him as the Savior. Pope Francis pointed out that Mary, as a good mother, never sought to take the place of her son, but became the first cathedral of silence, a place where God and man can meet. Our mothers, too, he added, bring us into the world and then continue to follow our development, often unnoticed, so that we can grow. Love never suffocates, said the Pope. Love makes space for the other and allows them to grow. As the new year dawns, the Holy Father invited everyone to look to Mary and our own mothers with grateful hearts. Let us learn from Mary a form of love which is cultivated especially in silence, he said, adding that this love must respect the dignity of others, allow them freedom to express themselves, and reject all forms of possession, domination, and violence. In conclusion, Pope Francis prayed that Mary, the mother of God, might help us to grow in love that gives life to others. May Mary, mother of God, and our mother in the new year, he prayed, help us to grow in this gentle, silent, and discreet love that generates life and open paths in the world for peace and reconciliation. I'm Devin Watkins. That's the news. You're listening to the Sunrise Morning Show on EWTN Radio. It's 35 past. If the cold winter mornings make you want to stay in bed, it's time to get some Mystic Monk coffee or tea to help make kicking off the covers a little easier. And when you head to their site by clicking the link at sunrisemorningshow.com, you earn us a commission on your purchase without spending anything extra. While you're at our site, be sure to check out our online store where you can buy Sunrise Morning Show mugs and travel mugs. Get a mug and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. That's sunrisemorningshow.com. 
Business owners are starting to think outside the box to find new customers. You can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting The Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on The Sunrise Morning Show. To find out how it works, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. The Baltimore Catechism asks, What do we promise in baptism? In baptism, we promise to renounce the devil with all his works. The notion of baptism is that we are now turning our back upon what is evil and we are pointed toward what is good. Behind us is darkness, before us is light. Behind us is the world and before us is heaven. And so, baptism implies a conscious choice. If the baptism is done for a child, the conscious choice is that of its parents. If baptism is of an adult, then the adult himself must bear witness that he is putting behind him Satan, and he is putting before him Christ. And so then we can say that baptism is always contingent upon the will of the person being baptized. Let us ask our Lord that we might be faithful to the promises of baptism, and thereby prepare ourselves for all of the graces given through that sacrament. Reflecting on the Baltimore Catechism, I'm Dominican Father Ezra Sullivan. Dr. Jared Stout is joining us now on the Sunrise Morning Show. We've been going through his book, How the Eucharist Can Save Civilization. Good morning, Dr. Stout. Good morning. It's good to have you. And last time we were together, we talked about how at the Mass we are experiencing the unveiling of heaven. Now, today we are going to be talking about ritual. And just to lay the groundwork for this discussion today, can you define ritual for us? Yeah, a ritual action is something that's out of the ordinary. So let's let's give the example of eating and drinking, right? You know, eating and drinking is something that we do every single day. It's a normal human activity. But uh, a ritual eating uh, would be doing the same action, but with a deeper meaning. Um, and of course, generally, we're speaking here of a sacred. Uh, meaning and purpose. So you, you're taking ordinary actions where, I mean, if we're thinking of the ancient world, that could be, you know, the slaying of an animal um, and the butchering of an animal uh, it could be eating food or drinking, um, lighting a fire, any of these ordinary human activities. And, you, and you're investing them with a deeper sacred meaning and performing them on behalf of other people, right? So if you're eating and drinking yourself, that's just a private action. But a ritual action would generally be something done uh, with a deeper meaning on behalf of other people. Now, this might be an elementary question in response to that. But how do we know then that the mass is a ritual? Because of how it was performed uh, the first time. So Jesus was performing it in the context of the Passover. Um, so the Passover itself is a ritual. Right, So it began as a simple meal, but God told the Israelites, I want you to do this every single year. And I even want you to explain this to your children. This is what this means, right? You know, that death is passing over us uh, as we are eating this meal. Now, whether or not the Last Supper was a, a Passover meal is actually very controversial. 
But we can certainly say that it was in the context of the Passover and it incorporated elements of the Passover, no matter what, like 100%. Um, and so Jesus was basically doing the same thing, right? He was taking up the context of a meal. He was investing it with a deeper meaning, you know, okay, here's bread, but this is my body, right? You know, take this and eat this as my body, not as ordinary bread. And then what does he say? Do this in memory of me. There it is. That's how it becomes a ritual. Yeah. Yeah. And it's been going on for centuries now in the church. Well, something I mentioned in the book, you know, when we think of everything that the church is called to do and should do, the ritual of the mass is the thing that we've probably been best at doing, you know, that we actually are doing this in memory of Jesus every single day. Can you talk about the role of language in the ritual that is the mass? You know, it, it's possible to conceive of a ritual that was only action, right? You know, you could come to a service and you could see a priest or another minister performing actions, but the words make the meaning of those actions very clear. So you couldn't interpret it this way or that way, you know? Um, if, if there was just the priest standing up over the altar and holding up a piece of bread, you could say, oh, well, that's interesting. Maybe that means God just wants to, you know, feed us, you know, through an ordinary human meal. But when the priest says, this is my body, a number of things are clear, not, not just the, the meaning as if it were a human meaning that we ourselves are imposing, but when the priest says, this is my body, then it's clear that, I mean, Jesus is the one acting here in this ritual. It's not a human ritual. It's a divine ritual uh, because God is acting through it. And Jesus is the word of the Father, spoken by the Father, and he's the one who speaks forth all of creation. So in the midst of the ritual of the Mass, the words of Jesus are what we say like operative. That is, they make things happen. They're efficacious. They're powerful. And so the word of God, the eternal word of God is speaking in the midst of this ritual and making things happen. And speaking forth these words of the word should be clear. Okay, something is happening here. This is my body. This is actually being done in the midst of the mass. Does that mean that we should be hearing the priest say it in the actual language that Jesus was using? You know, it's an interesting point um, because Jesus himself spoke Aramaic, mm -hmm. and yet the prayers of the synagogue were in Hebrew. But on the other hand, the, the writings of the New Testament are in Greek. And Greek was, you know, the lingua franca of the ancient world. You know, sure. it, it, when you had different people, Romans and Greeks and Jews and Syrians speaking to one another, it would be in Greek. So I think immediately what we see is that the church is not going to be built on one sacred language. Um, it's not going to be Hebrew, Aramaic, and, and even the fact that Greek is being used, but it's more of a popular language that the Jews are writing in Greek, um, shows that Jesus wants his words to be accessible to all people. Um, what's interesting, though, is that uh, Christians in Rome did actually uh, pray the Mass in Greek for 200 years. And then went into the vernacular of Latin. So it's a joke that people make today. You know, you remember when the, the mass went into the vernacular of Latin? <laughs> um, but 
you know, there's, there's a reason why, you know, we translate the Bible and, you know, even though we did have the mass in Latin for centuries, there's still different kind of language groups. You know, you had Greek, Syriac, uh, the Slavonic languages and, and Latin. Now, of course, we're translating the mass into countless languages. And this is all about the, the word of God coming to us and speaking to us directly so that we can understand it and respond to it ourselves. Now, I also defend the importance of a sacred language in the book. So I, I think yeah. there's room for both. You know, we, we speak of the languages of the cross, the three that were actually up on the sign above Jesus' head, which mm. is Hebrew, Latin, and Greek. And, and they will always retain some importance, right, Absolutely. within the church's life. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And it brings a, a much more, shall we say, formal sort of feel, for lack of a better word, to the to the liturgy using those sacred languages there's a lot of elements here uh, there is a kind of mysteriousness and transcendence with the sacred language also precision you know and pope benedict actually floated as pope going back to latin for the form of the sacraments so that would be mm. like the words of consecration sure you know this is my body or i baptize you in the name of the father son and holy spirit why because it also gives unity throughout the church so that we could be clear, okay, we're all saying these very precise words for the sacraments. Well, we'll leave it there for now. In the meantime, you can find How the Eucharist Can Save Civilization from Tan Books linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Dr. Jared Stout, really appreciate it. Thank you. Absolutely. And of course, you can find all of our guests linked at sonrisemorningshow.com. Looks a little bit different than usual today because Matt's the one who usually does the show notes every day for the website. And because he's sick, um, by the way, say a prayer for him for his quick recovery. Um, I don't know how to do all the fancy things he does with the show notes. So everybody's just listed with a link today. <laughs> it gets the job done. You know, we got to fill in for each other when... Um, when we can't can't do it ourselves, right? So uh, we're making it work today here on the Sunrise Morning Show on this Tuesday, January the 2nd. Coming up next on the Sunrise Morning Show, Father Sebastian Walsh joins us to continue our series on his book about the Beatitudes. Stay with us. It's 14 till. Support for the Sunrise Morning Show is from Visiting Angels. Visiting Angels provides experienced, compassionate care to millions of aging adults nationwide by keeping them safe and healthy in the comfort of their own home. Whether it's a short break for caregivers or for long-term assistance, Visiting Angels provides hygiene, meals, light housework, companionship, and more. And services are available up to 24 hours per day. Visiting Angels, online at visitingangels.com. That's visitingangels.com. Franchise opportunities available. Laura Teach Me to Pray, the Ignatian Prayer Series, can now train you and others electronically to become facilitators and bring the Ignatian way of prayer to your parish. Come to know and love Jesus Christ like never before and help others do the same. Don't pass up the opportunity to join this work of the new evangelization. Go to LordTeachMeToPray.com and click on Digital Training. That's LordTeachMeToPray.com and click on Digital Training. 
If the cold winter mornings make you want to stay in bed, it's time to get some Mystic Monk coffee or tea to help make kicking off the covers a little easier. And when you head to their site by clicking the link at sunrisemorningshow.com, you earn us a commission on your purchase without spending anything extra. While you're at our site, be sure to check out our online store where you can buy Sunrise Morning Show mugs and travel mugs. Get a mug and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. That's sunrisemorningshow.com. The most original and exclusive Catholic content is on EWTN Radio. What a great grace it is to have the opportunity to use the airwaves for the honor and glory of God, to be able to talk to the hearts of individuals and meet them where they are in their relationship with our Lord, and also to encourage them forward. Women of Grace with Johnette Williams. This morning, 11 a.m. Eastern on EWTN Radio. Hi, this is Cy Kellett. Join us later today on Catholic Answers Live as we do our best to explain and defend the Catholic faith. Catholic Answers Live, 6 p.m. Eastern on EWTN Radio. Now, back to the Sunrise Morning Show. Twelve till now on the Sunrise Morning Show. Let's take a look at headlines. Israel will be withdrawing several thousand troops from the Gaza Strip, according to the IDF. The Latin Patriarch of Jerusalem celebrated Mass on the Solemnity of Mary, Mother of God, and the World Day of Peace yesterday, speaking in his homily about the courage and madness of peace. And during a special Angelus address yesterday, Pope Francis offered prayers for the church in Nicaragua. Next newscast in about 15 minutes from now. It's 12 till. Back with us now on the Sunrise Morning Show is Father Sebastian Walsh. We've been going through his book from Catholic Answers Press, Heart of the Gospel. Good morning, Father. Good morning, Annie. How are you? I am doing fine, and uh, we are continuing to get, I guess you could say, a better grasp on what a beatitude actually is. And last time you were with us, you were explaining that, you know, the happiness that's promised is both a present and future reality. But that brings up another question, Father. I mean, these conditions, if you will, don't exactly seem like they would bring about happiness. Can you explain? Yes. um, I I mentioned many places in my book, actually, just how counterintuitive the Beatitudes are. And if it weren't God himself that were teaching us those Beatitudes, I think we would just dismiss them. So, right, there's that passage in in the book of Jeremiah, more tortuous than all else is the human heart. Mm-hmm. Beyond remedy, who can understand it? I alone probe the mind and test the heart, says the Lord. So only God really knows how we work, huh? Mm-hmm. So um, on the other hand, when we look at the Beatitudes, even though the first part of the Beatitudes, or many of them, seems something that is um, not going to bring us happiness, nevertheless, the second part always seems to be something that we really want. huh? When we look at some of the Beatitudes, we look at, Blessed are the poor, blessed are those who hunger and thirst, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are those who are persecuted. We look at those and we say, um, those can't be happiness. And St. Thomas says something interesting. He says that, um, that men, oh, before the coming of Christ, had different opinions about what you would find happiness in. And by means of the Beatitudes, our Lord is showing us no happiness does not consist in any of these things. So... 
On the one hand, there are those who believe that happiness consists in external goods like riches and wealth. And our Lord rejects that by saying, no, blessed are the poor. Um, in fact, riches and wealth are only instrumental and, and don't have any essential connection to beatitude. And then others say that beatitude consists in a man satisfying his will and getting what he wants and emotional pleasure and power. And Jesus rejects that as well. And then there are others who say, well, beatitude consists in the virtues of the active life, like works of mercy and things like that. And our Lord says, no, it doesn't consist exactly in that either. Um, those things dispose us for happiness. And then finally, you have people like Aristotle who thought that happiness consisted in the contemplation of divine things. And even that, our Lord rejects in some way because he says it's future and not present. Huh? Wow. And so in all four cases, all the different kinds of things that men had put beatitude in, Jesus says, no, it's not in that. It's in something else. And so we have to let go of our false view of happiness, which is described in some way in the first half of the Beatitudes, to embrace the true happiness, which is promised in the second half. You know, that's so interesting. It's kind of like this both, like the things that, that many people would think are going to bring about happiness are those things that satisfy my desire right now. Yeah, but, mm -hmm. but may not have future great consequences. But if we focus only on the future, like you were saying, that's not quite right either. Like we got to find the things that are the both and here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's right. The you know Jesus is very clear about the fact that what we do in this life um, has effects in how we will be in the life to come, and so it's very important. The very beginning that Jesus teach us, whatever you do. Don't try and find happiness in this life, you know. Find happiness by means of hope in the life to come, mm -hmm. and then you'll act in this life in a way worthy of the life to come and a way that will make you prepared for the life to come. How interesting. So can I just, like, pick a beatitude for myself? I mean, I, I was thinking, Father, I'll go ahead and be meek because I don't really know what that means, but inheriting the earth sounds pretty <laughs> awesome, so I'll do that because I certainly don't want to be persecuted, and I don't like dealing with two angry people by being a peacemaker. I mean, just ask my two young boys about that. It's not exactly my charism. So can I just pick meekness and, and leave it at that? Well, let me, in a way, yes, in a way, no. Let me explain that. I had okay. a friend who once said to me that um, that uh, Ten Commandments is a lot. Can I just, you know, <laughs> pare down the list to, you know, the ones that I find easier? And, uh, and the truth of the matter is that the commandments, the virtues, the Beatitudes, they all form a unity. Mm. You know, St. James makes an interesting observation in his epistle where he says that if you've broken one commandment, you've broken all of them, because fundamentally what you're doing is rejecting the authority of the lawgiver there. And so if you keep the other nine commandments, it's, it's not because you respect the lawgiver, you know. Ouch. And something similar happens in the case of the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes are all describing different aspects of one reality. And so let's say that you are greedy and you love money. So you, you do not think that the poor are blessed. So you love money and you're greedy. Well, you're not going to be pure of heart either, because how can you say that you really love God with a pure heart when you love something more than God, like money, you know? Oh. So the, the Beatitudes, they all work together in such a way that if you have one, you have all of them. 
if you have one truly. And if, you ha- and if you're lacking one of them, you don't have any of them. So we all have to, in some way, embrace the truth behind all of the Beatitudes, although it may be that in our lives, one or other of the Beatitudes will stand out more prominently. There are certain saints, for example, who were known for being merciful, for example. There were other saints who were known for their poverty, like St. Francis, and other saints who were known for their meekness and so forth. But to put it that way, Father, I mean, we all basically will fail at these, at least from from time to time. So is anyone truly happy or blessed in the present? That's why we have this beautiful sacrament called confession. <laughs> and, and the Lord Jesus knows that um, we are weak. And we commit sins of ignorance. We commit sins of weakness. As long as we embrace the truth behind these Beatitudes and we strive, we try hard to accomplish them, even if we occasionally or even frequently fail, we know that the Lord will come to our aid when the time comes for us to stand before him. And I always give as the example the apostles who are fishing all night and they catch nothing. And the Lord Jesus says, cast your net one more time. And they say, but we've been fishing all night. We've caught nothing. And they said, but your word will do it. And they bring up so many fish in one catch that it was as if they had successfully fished the whole night. And so for those of us who try and fail and try and fail and try and fail, but we really are trying hard, the Lord will give us that great catch of fish at the end of our lives, maybe, or whenever He wants to, and then we can experience fully what it means to live those Beatitudes. Nice. Thank you so much, Father Sebastian Walsh. You can find Heart of the Gospel linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. We got another hour of the Sunrise Morning Show up next for most of our affiliates here on EWTN Radio. We're continuing our way on this Tuesday, January the 2nd, the Feast of St. Basil the Great and St. Gregory of Nazianzen. Let's begin this hour with a prayer written by St. Basil. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. O God and Lord of the powers and maker of all creation, who, because of thy clemency and incomparable mercy, did send thine only begotten Son and our Lord Jesus Christ for the salvation of mankind, and with his venerable cross did tear asunder the record of our sins, and thereby did conquer the rulers and powers of darkness. Receive from us sinful people, O merciful Master, these prayers of gratitude and supplication, and deliver us from every destructive and gloomy transgression, and from all visible and invisible enemies who seek to injure us. Nail down our flesh with fear of thee, And let not our hearts be inclined to words or thoughts of evil, but pierce our souls with thy love, that ever contemplating thee, being enlightened by thee, and discerning thee, the unapproachable and everlasting light, may we unceasingly render confession and gratitude to thee. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good morning and welcome to Hour 2 of the Sunrise Morning Show here on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. 
I'm Anna Mitchell, sitting in the studios of Sacred Heart Catholic Radio in Cincinnati, Ohio. Paul Lockman at the controls for us. Matt Swaim is sick today. Please say a prayer for his quick recovery. But we did uh, get one conversation to share with you that Matt had with Ken Agoric. He is co-author of a new book on the Well, reflecting on the Sunday Mass readings for each week of this new liturgical year, well, I guess it's not completely new anymore, but we're still fairly early in the new liturgical year. And uh, he and Scott Hahn put together this book of reflections called Breaking the Bread. So, Ken, we'll talk about that. Dr. Jeffrey Morrow will give us a little primer on the Song of Songs today as we continue our Old Testament Bible study with a Catholic guide to the Old Testament from Ascension Press. We will get more reflections on the virtues uh, by St. Albert the Great, Father Robert Nixon, having translated these reflections. We'll talk about it with us, and then we'll wrap up the hour with Dr. James Schrader talking about the need for a plan when it comes to having New Year's resolutions. So, hope you can stick around for the entire hour ahead. Right now it's three minutes past and news is a service of Central Fabricators and centralfabricators.com. Israel will be withdrawing several thousand troops from the Gaza Strip. The IDF made the announcement yesterday, noting the growing toll that the nearly three-month war has taken on the Israeli economy. More than 85% of Gaza's residents have been displaced from their homes, according to the United Nations, and the fighting has left more than 20,000 people dead. The Latin Patriarch of Jerusalem spoke about the courage and madness of peace in his homily yesterday as he celebrated Mass for the Solemnity of Mary, Mother of God, and the World Day of Peace. The Catholic News Agency reports Cardinal Pierre Battista Pizzaballa said, quote, I am more and more convinced that in this complex context, the main vocation and mission of the small Christian community is precisely this, to cherish the desire for encounter, to cultivate freedom in relation to all, to overcome ethnic, religious, and identity boundaries. It is my dream, and it is the madness that I would like to share with all this small and beloved church in Jerusalem." End quote. Pope Francis celebrated Mass yesterday for the feast day and in his homily encouraged the faithful to entrust the year to the Blessed Mother, saying, with her tender love, she will lead us to Jesus. From Vatican Radio, Thaddeus Jones reports. The Pope illustrated the meaning of the expression, the fullness of time, we read in the scriptures, and how divine grace spills over when God becomes man through Mary. Le parole madre di Dio. The words, Mother of God, the Pope explained, express the joyful certainty that the Lord, a tiny child in his mama's arms, has united himself forever to our humanity, to the point that it's no longer only ours, but his as well, the Lord's eternal covenant with us. Mother of God, a dogma of faith, but also a dogma of hope, the Pope said, God in man and man in God forever. At the same time, the Pope emphasized that we should remember that the motherhood of Mary is the path leading us to the paternal tenderness of God, the closest, most direct, and easiest of paths. The Church also needs to rediscover in Mary, Virgin and Mother, how to be generative with 
pastoral ministry distinguished by concern and care, patience and maternal courage, said the Pope. And the world could also look to mothers and women for ways to find peace in our world and see things with genuinely human eyes and hearts. The Pope then spoke about how Mary plays a decisive role also in each of our own lives, as no one knows better than a mother the stages of growth and the urgent needs of her children. The Pope said, Mary knows our needs. She intercedes to make grace overflow in our lives and to guide them to authentic fulfillment. In conclusion, the Pope said, may this year be filled with the consolation of the Lord. Federal authorities are investigating a New Year's crash that killed two people and injured five following a concert in Rochester, New York, as a possible act of terrorism. Trey Thomas reports. The accident involved three vehicles early Monday morning, one of which exploded. First responders found at least a dozen canisters of gasoline in and around the car that exploded, which has led to investigators looking into the matter as a potential terrorism act. I'm Trey Thomas. The stage is set for the college football playoff national championship game. Top-ranked Michigan will meet second-ranked Washington in this year's title game after both won their semifinals on New Year's Day. The Wolverines knocked off fourth-ranked Alabama in overtime 27-20 at the Rose Bowl. The Huskies held on to beat third-ranked Texas 37-31 in the Sugar Bowl. And fitness remains the top New Year's resolution going into 2024, according to a Forbes Health New Year's resolution survey. 48% of Americans plan to improve their fitness, making it the most popular goal. Other most common resolutions include improving finances, improving mental health, losing weight, and improving one's diet. Less popular goals include traveling more, meditating regularly, drinking less alcohol, and performing better at work. I would have loved to see, like, prayer in there, go to church more often. I don't know. Maybe we need a Catholic survey of resolutions. Who knows? Today is Tuesday, January the 2nd, the Feast of Saints Basil the Great and Gregory of Nazianzen. Pray for us. It's eight past now. Matt? The Sunrise Morning Show continues. I'm Matt Swaim, joined now by Ken Agoric. And Ken has got a book that he worked on with Scott Hahn called Breaking the Bread, A Biblical Devotion for Catholics. And uh, if you haven't seen these books, uh, they are really, really well done. Ken, good morning. Good morning, Matt. How are you? Doing well. It's been a while since we had you on. Hope everything's <laughs> going well in Indianapolis. Absolutely. My, my neighbor, my, na- my neighbor over there in Cincinnati. Yeah, so talk about this Breaking the Bread uh, devotional. Uh, had you ever worked on a project like this with Scott Hahn before? Not with Scott, uh, not with Scott, but uh, he, he, he kind of liked uh, a book that I wrote a few years ago. It was a lectionary-based catechism. So, uh, so we got to talking about that book one day and, and maybe doing a second edition of it, and next thing you know, uh, his, his team was saying, well, why, why don't we, why don't we uh, put, put your work together and, and make, a, make a really nice devotional? Well, and the devotional is just that. It's lectionary-based. So how's it set up? Yeah, so 
As, as most of our listeners know, at Mass every Sunday, uh, the same readings are proclaimed throughout the world. So, so that's a, we have a three-year cycle of Sunday Mass readings. So Scott starts each, uh, e- each week's reflection is really just a couple or three pages. Uh, but Scott starts each week off with some awesome reflections on the Sunday Mass readings, r- really helping folks to prepare uh, and then connect some dots even before uh, we hear them proclaimed at Mass. And then my, uh, one of my contributions to the book is really helping connect some dots, again, between uh, the scriptures and, and the basic doctrinal and moral teaching of the Church, you know, sacred tradition, if you will. So that's kind of, there's a brief section after, after Scott's biblical reflections that kind of share some, some uh, teachings of the Church that are particularly related to the readings of that day. And then, yeah, just some icing on the cake, some questions for, for discussion and reflection, and a nice little prayer to, to put a bow on it each week, Matt. Well, that's kind of nice for a number of reasons. One is because you got, you know, a couple people, uh, and, you know, in Scott's case, biblical theology for decades. You've worked in catechesis for many, many years. And, you know, to be honest, uh, we only get like eight minutes, <laughs> right, from our pastor. That's a lot of pressure. Uh, for a pastor to be able to sum up all these different angles. And so it is nice to be able to get in and, and dive into the readings a little bit more. But also, Ken, I've found, and I, I'm, I'm sure this is the case with you as well, that if you get a head start on this stuff, uh, you know, it, if you're hearing it for the first time on a Sunday morning, uh, depending on who's reading and how the microphones are working that Sunday, you may miss pieces <laughs> or things might not jump out to you the same way. So having that preparation is really strong. Absolutely, we we, we kind of till the soil, if you will, and then and then when that when that seed of the word of God is spread uh, by, by proclamation at mass, it's it's more likely maybe to maybe to fall on some fertile ground, and then even afterwards, you know, I, I think I think the preparation that we do it gives us additional food for thought and prayer as we as we leave mass and kind of start the rest of our week. So this is the year B version of this, which means lots and lots of Mark. So did you get any fresh perspective of your own on Mark's gospel as you were putting this together? Well, it, it always—I I, I don't know if I would say it's fresh, but it's, but it's re, refreshing. It, it, it always strikes me how Mark's gospel is fast-paced, you know. He kind of cuts to the chase. It's fast-moving. Uh, in fact, I, whenever someone asks me where they should start reading the Bible if they're not familiar with it, I, I usually say, you know what, start with Mark's Gospel, you know, and go from there. So, so yeah, it, it kind of, it it's always refreshing for me, really, to revisit Mark's Gospel. Uh, maybe, maybe, maybe it's because I like action movies, you know, but, but Mark's, Mark doesn't waste time, you know, he, he, he gets after it. He really does. You know, it is funny, a lot of people who are like, I'm going to read the New Testament, so they pick it up. <laughs> And start with Matthew, and they see the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the Son of David. The Son. They're like in the names, and they're like, I don't know who Aminadab is or Nashon, or uh, I recognize Salmon because we had it last Friday. But like, uh, you, know, you can get bogged yeah. down in Matthew. But Mark really is. It's that action-packed uh, piece. So in terms of the contributions, what did Scott bring to the table, and what did you bring to the table uh, in terms of like how you each sort of divvied up how you were going to talk about the readings? Well, really, yeah, it was kind of divide and conquer based on based on as you were saying earlier, uh, a lot of our experience over the years. So, yeah, Scott brings that that wonderful ability to comment on the scriptures in a way that kind of makes light bulbs go off. Uh, again, we at Mass we have several readings from different parts of the Bible, um, and sometimes the connections aren't always as obvious maybe to to folks. So Scott really really brings his expertise there. 
and really just, as you said, my involvement uh, with evangelization and catechesis in particular over the years, just helping people not only, not only grasp the basic doctrinal and moral teaching of the Church, but really seeing how it, how it flows from sacred Scripture. Uh, so, so that's kind of how we, those were the main, uh, div- that's, that was the main division of labor, if you will. Um, and then I, you know, again, I, I uh, provided some, some questions for discussion and, and reflection and so forth and, and kind of wrote, uh, I like to write prayers, Matt. So, uh, so, so I, I, I pitched in the little prayers at the end of each week. Very cool. Well, our listeners, uh, some of them know you from various things, uh, including your work with the Archdiocese of Indianapolis. And I know you've got some big things coming up. Uh, you're throwing one of the biggest parties in the American church here pretty soon <laughs> with the Eucharistic Congress and that sort of thing. Uh, I mean, tying this back into this, even just the title, Breaking the Bread, I mean, yeah. how do you hope that this you know, helps people kind of wrap their mind more around what the church is calling us to and really getting more into uh, our understanding and devotion to the Eucharist? Yeah, Matt, I think the more, the more intimate our, our relationship is with Jesus in, in terms of uh, grasping, or at least trying to grasp, who He is as, as He reveals Himself to us in sacred Scripture and sacred tradition, the, 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 more, um, the more receiving Him in Holy Communion, uh, it, it, again, I guess, I guess I keep coming back to that analogy of tilling the soil, so, so when we when we encounter him in in, in the Word, uh, we're we're really we're really oriented toward toward uh, participating in Mass fully, consciously, and actively, and, and then really appreciating how he comes to us in the Eucharist. And and we're hoping the revival that's underway right now, and of course the big National Congress next July in Indianapolis, will really really be a powerful experience of folks uh, of both of those realities. Thank you so much, Ken Agoric. Thank you, Matt. You can find Breaking the Bread linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. And, of course, we do segments every other week with folks from the Eucharistic Revival. So um, I'm sure they'll be talking a lot more about the Congress in these upcoming weeks as we are now in the year 2024. It's coming up this summer. Crazy. Let's take a look at weather across the nation. There could be a few lingering showers across the Delmarva Peninsula, southern Maryland, southeastern Virginia, and eastern North Carolina this morning. Some flurries or very light snow showers could also stick around for northern and central Appalachia. The far upper Mississippi Valley and upper Great Lakes will see some flurries or light snow showers. Expect scattered rain showers or a mix of rain and snow for the far southern Rockies, the southern high plains. Steady or light to moderate rain and perhaps a few thunderstorms will be found across Texas and the lower Mississippi Valley this afternoon and evening. Rain will become increasingly likely across western Washington State, western Oregon, and northern and central California. Expect light to moderate snow for the Cascades. Some heavy snow possible for the Sierra Nevada. Interior northwest and parts of the Great Basin will likely see wet snow or a rain-snow mix possibly freezing drizzle or light freezing rain mixing in. Headlines up next. It's 17 past here on the Sunrise Morning Show. Support for the Sunrise Morning Show is from Visiting Angels. Visiting Angels provides experienced, compassionate care to millions of aging adults nationwide by keeping them safe and healthy in the comfort of their own home. Whether it's a short break for caregivers or for long-term assistance, Visiting Angels provides hygiene, meals, light housework, companionship, and more. 
and services are available up to 24 hours per day. Visiting Angels, online at visitingangels.com. That's visitingangels.com. Franchise opportunities available. Central Fabricators is proud to support the Sunrise Morning Show, where you'll get news from the Catholic perspective, while keeping you up to date on what's happening in the Vatican as well. It's also a great way to keep in touch with the Catholic faith throughout the week. Central Fabricators, based in Cincinnati, Ohio, is a family-owned business for over 75 years, manufacturing and repairing corrosion-resistant storage tanks, reactors, and pressure vessels. On the web at centralfabricators.com. That's centralfabricators.com. Business owners are starting to think outside the box to find new customers. You can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting The Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on The Sunrise Morning Show. To find out how it works, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. EWTN uses the power of radio to reach people whenever and wherever they're searching for answers to questions about their Catholic faith. EWTN radio is heard on over 500 domestic and international AM and FM radio affiliates. For a complete list of programs and how to hear EWTN radio, visit EWTN.com and click radio. EWTN, the global Catholic network. Nineteen past now on the Sunrise Morning Show. Let's take a look at headlines. Israel will be withdrawing several thousand troops from the Gaza Strip. Pope Francis celebrated Mass yesterday for the solemnity of Mary, Mother of God, encouraging the faithful to entrust the year to her. And during a special Angelus address yesterday, he offered prayers for the persecuted church in Nicaragua. Next. Next. My mic can't going in and out here next newscast coming up at the bottom of the hour i've been scrolling through on social media and seeing a lot of people writing remembrances and condolences to the family of author emily diardo you may remember she wrote the book living memento mori but was also such a great presence such a great hopeful and kind presence on social media so since it's the feast of saint gregory please pray with me this prayer for the dead. Lord and creator of all, and especially of your creature man, you are the God and father and ruler of your children. You are the Lord of life and death. Receive us too at the proper time when you have guided us in our bodily life, as long as may be for our profit. Receive us prepared indeed by fear of you, but not troubled, not shrinking back on that day of death or uprooted by a force like those who are lovers of the world and of the flesh. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Mornings make you want to stay in bed. It's time to get some Mystic Monk coffee or tea to help make kicking off the covers a little easier. And when you head to their site by clicking the link at sunrisemorningshow.com, you earn us a commission on your purchase without spending anything extra. While you're at our site, be sure to check out our online store where you can buy Sunrise Morning Show mugs and travel mugs. 
Get a mug and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. That's sunrisemorningshow.com. Business owners are starting to think outside the box to find new customers. You can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show. To find out how it works, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. A prayer for vocations by our Holy Father, Pope John Paul II. Lord Jesus, as you once called the first disciples to make them fishers of men, let your sweet invitation continue to resound. Give young men and women the grace of responding quickly to your voice. Support our bishops, priests, and consecrated people in their apostolic labor. Grant perseverance to our seminarians and to all those who are carrying out the ideal of a life totally consecrated to your service. Lord, send workers to your harvest and do not allow humanity to be lost for the lack of pastors, missionaries, and people dedicated to the cause of the gospel. Mary, Mother of the Church, help us to say yes to the Lord who calls us to cooperate in the divine plan of salvation. For Sacred Heart Radio, this is Father Greg Connerman. our Sunrise Morning Show Old Testament Bible study. We have been using a Catholic guide to the Old Testament from Ascension Press to help guide us along the way. You can pick up a copy for yourself at ascensionpress.com slash Old Testament. And we are back with one of the contributors to this guide, Dr. Jeffrey Morrow. Good morning, Dr. Morrow. Good morning. It's great to be here. It is great to have you. And we are talking about the Song of Songs today, a.k.a. the Song of Solomon. Did Solomon write this one as well? I think he did. That's a contested point among historians. So a lot of historians will argue he did not. But I think he did, and I think there's evidence of that. Um, a lot of the terms and things that are brought up um, really relate to what we know about from his reign. Well, those who read through the Song of Songs or the Song of Solomon might be a little shocked um, when, if you're just kind of paging through the Bible, reading in order, and uh, you come upon the uh, the words of the Song of Songs, and may not sound quite so, I don't know, Bible-y. Uh, to, to an untrained ear, but uh, there is a rich rich history in the church of interpretation of what this book is all about. Can you talk about that? Oh, certainly. And not just in the church, but in the Jewish tradition. I mean, sure. it's very erotic. It's an erotically charged language. Um, and so, I mean, it's if it were just focusing on the relationship between the husband and the wife, uh, the man and the woman, it probably would never have been canonized, right? Mm -hmm. Because it's not, it's not the focal point in the traditions. But they understood it as so much deeper that this was this, this, I mean, you can think about what St. Paul says in the letter to the Ephesians, where he's talking about husbands and wives, and he, he talks about this is a great mystery, right? It's this great yeah. sacrament. And um, it's the same sort of thing here, that, that the, in both Jewish and Christian interpretations, there's the erotic interpretation, but there's also this idea of divine love, of God loving the people, 
and of God loving the individual, um, and of his messianic interpretations about pointing forward to the Christ, and mystical interpretations, uh, and then liturgical interpretations. There's so much here. There's so many clues, right, when you think about your neck is like the Tower of David. Is this just mm-hmm. a weird, you know... <laughs> you know, love, you know, euphemism for the day. Have uh, you, you know, ever what, what, seen those uh, those uh, memes where they, they make Valentine's cards based on some of the imagery that uh, that gets used in the Song of Songs? It's hilarious. No, but that would be that would be that would be really funny. Because the point there is I think about Jerusalem, the Tower of David, right? So a lot of what's going on is this imagery about how precious Jerusalem is to God and to the people. So I think there's a lot going on in the text. Yeah, absolutely. So why don't you take us through the the outline of the Song of Songs? What do we read in this book? Well, basically what we find is we find the, the lover seeking after the beloved. And that becomes the whole, you know, that's basically what this is about. So when you walk through, right, he's, the bridegroom is inviting her to come away with him, all right? But he, he has to seek she then goes to seek him, right? First is the dream, um, and then they, they ride together into Jerusalem, um, and then there's another dream where she's dreaming about the wedding night, um, and this is, of course, where some of it gets kind of racy. And then, uh, there's, there's, then she dreams again of riding in his, along with, with his chariot, um, then there's the, and there's the chorus throughout, the singing about the, the bride. And so the... That's basically, it's a song, so it's poetic. There's a lot of uh, rhythm in it. In the Hebrew, it's quite beautiful. You know, your lips are like a scarlet thread. Your mouth is lovely. Your cheeks are like halves of a pomegranate. I just opened it up here. Behind your veil, here it is. Your neck is like the Tower of David, right? Built for an arsenal. It doesn't seem like a, it doesn't seem like a uh, romantic compliment. Mm-hmm. But I think there's a lot going on in the text. So I would actually think that we, it's good to read this at multiple levels at the same time. Well, especially when we have the benefit of reading it in light of the New Testament, knowing that Jesus sets himself up as a bridegroom, and, yes. and, and then also in light of, of the epistles of John, in which we learn that God is love. I mean, yes. that brings all kinds of insights into the Song of Songs, doesn't it? I think it does, and I think especially if you read it in light of uh, Pope Benedict XVI's analysis mm. in his first papal encyclical, Deus Caritas S, God is Love, because whereas Song of Songs tends to focus on eros, in the Greek at least, and what we hear here is, is uh, agape, right, caritas, charity, in St. John's letters, Pope Benedict points out how in God, in light of Song of Songs, in light of the New Testament, God unites both in himself. So you have that ecstatic love, the eros going out of self, right, desiring the other, and the agape, that selfless love, charity, which wills the good of the other as sacrifice to the self. And so we have both in God. I mean, it's really important, I think, that fundamentally, I think we often think of ourselves as um, our worth is based on our successes and failures, but it's not. It's based on the fact that God loves us. We are loved into existence by God, and He pursues us like a passionate lover at the sacrifice of himself for our own good. So he unites both forms of love in himself as he pursues us. So he loves us more than we've ever loved anybody before. And that's powerful. 
So powerful. And I think a great place to close the conversation for today. On that note, we've been talking to Dr. Jeffrey Morrow. Read more about it in A Catholic Guide to the Old Testament from Ascension Press. Go to ascensionpress.com slash Old Testament to uh, buy a copy for yourself or for a loved one in your life who could uh, use some more insights into the Song of Songs or any of the Old Testament books of the Bible. And Dr. Jeffrey Morrow, really appreciate your insights into this book today. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. Thank you. The pleasure was all mine. Thank you. And um, I mentioned it would be a great gift. Of course, the Feast of the Epiphany coming up this weekend. A great gift-giving occasion because that's when Jesus received his gifts. Half past the hour now on the Sunrise Morning Show. It's time for news. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky is promising an increase in Ukrainian-produced weapons in 2024 as the country's war with Russia rages on. In a year-end speech, Zelensky said this year the enemy will feel the wrath of domestic production. He said their weapons, artillery, equipment, drones, and more will all be used generously. He said they'll use them on land, in the sky, and at sea. He went on to praise the country's soldiers, medical personnel, and everyone who fights for Ukraine every day. The Israel-Hamas war rages on in the Gaza Strip. Mark Mayfield reports. An Israeli forces spokesman has suggested that the military offensive in Gaza could last throughout 2024 as their forces are getting ready for prolonged fighting. This comes as tensions in the Middle East were raised over the weekend after U.S. helicopters traded fire with Iran-backed Houthi rebels in the Red Sea. It's also as Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu continues to push back against any calls for a ceasefire between his country and Hamas. I'm Mark Mayfield. The Latin Patriarch of Jerusalem celebrated Mass for the Solemnity of Mary, Mother of God, and the World Day of Peace yesterday, speaking in his homily about the courage and the madness of peace. The Catholic News Agency reports Cardinal Pierre Battista Pizzaballo said, quote, Jesus did not solve any of the social and political problems of his time, but he did reveal a way, which is still the way forward for those who want to build contexts of peace even here today in the troubled and conflict-ridden Middle East encounter, he said. I am more and more convinced that in this complex context, the main vocation and mission of the small Christian community is precisely this, to cherish the desire for encounter, to cultivate freedom in relation to all, to overcome ethnic, religious, and identity boundaries. It is my dream, he said, and it is the madness that I would like to share with all this small and beloved church in Jerusalem. In a special Angelus address yesterday for the feast day, Pope Francis encouraged everyone to place the new year under the care of the Blessed Mother. From Vatican Radio, Devin Watkins reports. He noted that the day's gospel reading depicts Mary as remaining in a silence filled with wonder and adoration for the marvels that God is performing as the shepherds came to worship her son Jesus. Mary, said the Pope, makes room within herself for the one who is born. In silence and adoration, she places Jesus at the center and bears witness to him as the Savior. Pope Francis pointed out that Mary, as a good mother, never sought to take the place of her son, but became the first cathedral of silence, a place where God and man can meet. Our mothers too, he added, bring us into the world and then continue to follow our development, often unnoticed so that we can grow. 
Love never suffocates, said the Pope. Love makes space for the other and allows them to grow. As the new year dawns, the Holy Father invited everyone to look to Mary and our own mothers with grateful hearts. Let us learn from Mary a form of love which is cultivated especially in silence, he said, adding that this love must respect the dignity of others, allow them freedom to express themselves, and reject all forms of possession, domination, and violence. In conclusion, Pope Francis prayed that Mary, the Mother of God, might help us to grow in love that gives life to others. May Mary, Mother of God, and our Mother, in the new year, he prayed, help us to grow in this gentle, silent, and discreet love that generates life and open paths in the world for peace and reconciliation. I'm Devin Watkins. Pope Francis, also during his Angelus address, offered prayers for the persecuted church in Nicaragua. The Catholic News Agency reports this coming in the wake of the abduction of four priests on December 28th and 29th. Their whereabouts are still unknown. And the makers of a formula for babies with allergies to cow's milk are recalling the product over possible bacteria contamination. Corporate leaders with Reckitt Mead Johnson say some batches of their Nutramogen powder are affected. The recall applies to some 12.6 and 19.8 ounce cans of formula with a use-by date of January 1st, 2025. That's the news. It's 35 minutes past. If the cold winter mornings make you want to stay in bed, it's time to get some Mystic Monk coffee or tea to help make kicking off the covers a little easier. And when you head to their site by clicking the link at sunrisemorningshow.com, you earn us a commission on your purchase without spending anything extra. While you're at our site, be sure to check out our online store where you can buy Sunrise Morning Show mugs and travel mugs. Get a mug and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. That's sunrisemorningshow.com. Hello, I'm Father Timothy Shear, and these are Biblical Impressions. We all know that Paul was from Tarsus, but what kind of city was Tarsus? We may think of it as a small, insignificant place, but in fact, it was the capital of a Roman province. Since the days of Pompey, it had become a metropolis where the governor resided. It was in Tarsus that that famous pair Cleopatra and Mark Anthony gave a number of banquets during the construction of their fleet. Some 60 years before our Lord's birth, the citizens of Tarsus were granted Roman citizenship. Tarsus was a civil and a religious center it had palaces, marketplaces, roads, bridges, baths, fountains and waterworks, a gymnasium, and a stadium. Tarsus was also a port and a shipyard, and some Roman emperors were laid to rest in Tarsus. But none of this would have mattered to Paul. He was serving the kingdom of heaven. For Sacred Heart Radio, I'm Father Timothy Shear.
Robert Nixon is back with us now on the Sunrise Morning Show. He's Benedictine monk at New Norcia in Australia. He's translator of the Tan Resurrection series, and we have been going through The Paradise of the Soul by St. Albert the Great. Father, welcome back. Thank you, Eddie. It's great to be with you. It is great to have you. And this week we are talking about the virtue of fortitude. How does St. Albert define fortitude? So he describes perfect fortitude is to be able to rule and govern well one's own soul. This means being able to restrain the soul from all pride, envy, wrath, lust, avarice, vainglory, self-satisfaction and carnal desire, so that the rational intelligence refuses ever to consent or to cooperate with such tendencies. Hence it is written, the one who rules his own soul is better than the one who conquers cities. So for him, fortitude is the ability to govern oneself, to rule one's own actions, one's own thought, one's own soul. And this is what fortitude, what true strength consists in. Yeah, and lest we believe that fortitude is some sort of physical strength, he offers us the example of Samson. Indeed. So here we have strength. Uh, Samson, who is this uh, figure who has phenomenal physical strength. But at the same time, when we read about his story in the Bible, we see that he was actually in some ways quite a weak character. He would be, you know... Um, persuaded by various women, notably Delilah, and was kind of easily misled. So I think that's a, a very good example of someone who has physical strength but doesn't have the ability to govern his own heart. And we also have the example of David, who of course not only had physical strength but also had a great deal of intelligence and wisdom. But in a few instances, he himself succumbed to various temptations. So we see someone whose strength is flawed by numerous particular weaknesses. And this complete strength, which St. Albert the Great is talking about, is perfect governing of oneself. And what is the freedom that comes with that? So I think, um, you know, if we think about our human condition, that we're we're all subject to different temptations, tendencies, and so forth. And so from time to time, we can feel that we're not really in control of our own actions. Now, if you think about this virtue of fortitude, it means complete self-governance, self-mastery. And he talks about that in terms of freedom, um, a type of positive experience of spiritual delight. And this uh, frees us from all vices, from all temptations. It makes us truly in command of ourself. And I think that is the greatest form of power any person can have. Now, can you talk about how St. Albert distinguishes between true and false fortitude? Yes, indeed. So he talks about a false or perverse kind of fortitude. And that's when a person uses uh, their courage or strength for deeds contrary to the will of God. And, you know, we can often see this. We can often see people who are in some ways villainous, um, yet they possess great personal strength, even personal discipline and self-control. But this can all be misdirected. It can be directed towards uh, perverse purposes. So he's saying that for true strength, for true fortitude, 
it needs to be in accordance with the will of God. Otherwise, we're misusing one of these personal gifts. And um, he, he quotes St. Anselm. St. Anselm observes that sinning is not true freedom and generally does not arise from strength, ability or liberty, but rather from a deficiency in these things. And I think that's such an important thing these days because sometimes people think, you know, freedom is all about being able to do whatever I want, being able to indulge in whatever vices or do whatever um, activities. This is freedom. But in fact, no, it's not. It's a kind of slavery. It's not the product of strength. It's more generally the product of weakness. But you get that sort of immediate gratification when you aren't disciplined and don't have that that fortitude that you're describing, which is why I think it's all the more important that that St. Albert uh, talks about in here, the the positive experience of spiritual delight um, when when you do practice true fortitude because if it was all just um i don't know dying to self and yeah. and just limiting all good you know all of that immediate gratification yeah. the stuff that feels good in the moment then yeah. people wouldn't want to yeah. have fortitude yeah and, and and absolutely and i think people experience a genuine spiritual delight when they're able to overcome temptation mm, you know if yeah. a person has a particular bad habit and they manage to go through the day without succumbing to that, then I think that they experience this real joy, this real freedom. Or if a person experiences a temptation and, and they think, I know I'm tempted to say or do the wrong thing in this case, but I'm not going to do it because I'm in charge of myself and this is the decision I make, then from that grows a real a deep satisfaction and happiness which far, far exceeds the gratification people might get from, from any um, temporary pleasures of sin. And Father, will you share with us his prayer for fortitude? Absolutely. So it's a wonderful prayer for fortitude. O Lord, how weak and feeble is every mortal being who relies upon himself alone. But how strong are those who rely upon you? How strong is the soul that has once tasted the sweetness of your spirit, both in performing good works and in enduring tribulation, in resisting the temptations of the flesh and withstanding the hard blows of adversity. Lord, strengthen my soul with your own fortitude so that it may be able to combat the sinful influences of the old Adam within me. Never let me consent to the insidious persuasions of temptation. Lord, bring my senses and my members, especially my tongue, under firm control, for without your grace I cannot succeed in taming them. And I know that if I am left ungoverned, they will surely flare up like a fire and become a font of a multitude of evils and ills. Let neither adversity nor prosperity sway me from what is right, Lord. Govern my inner heart and let it not become fatigued in undertaking those things which are pleasing to you. Let me never shun difficulties and trials, for such things serve to nourish true and lasting fortitude and virtue, by means of which I shall be able to serve you ever more faithfully, my God. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Father Robert Nixon. You can find Paradise of the Soul linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Dr. Jim Schrader joins us next. It's a quarter till. 
Born from the heart of St. Daniel Comboni, the Comboni missionaries have served the poorest and most abandoned people in the world for more than 150 years. The Combonis improve quality of life with resources like food, clean water, and medicine. They provide vital education in schools and spiritually minister through the sacraments, all while preparing local Christian leaders to serve their people, now and in the future. Find out more at ComboniMissionaries.org. Are you looking for peace? Longing for joy? Want to meet the giver of all goodness? God is calling the laity to bring Ignatian prayer into the suffering world. Work for the new evangelization. Go to LordTeachMeToPray.com. Order your free digital training and manual. Find true happiness and everlasting joy. Go to LordTeachMeToPray.com. And click on the red button today. It's free. Approved by the USCCB. If the cold winter mornings make you want to stay in bed, it's time to get some Mystic Monk coffee or tea to help make kicking off the covers a little easier. And when you head to their site by clicking the link at sunrisemorningshow.com, you earn us a commission on your purchase without spending anything extra. While you're at our site, be sure to check out our online store where you can buy Sunrise Morning Show mugs and travel mugs. Get a mug and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. That's sunrisemorningshow.com. The Baltimore Catechism asks, Why do we pray before the crucifix and the images and relics of the saints? We pray before the crucifix and the images and relics of the saints because they enliven our devotion by exciting pious affections and desires and by reminding us of Christ and of the saints that we may imitate their virtues. I know of a fellow who wanted to lose some weight, and so he cut out a picture of a man who was very fit, and he put that image right next to his mirror in his bathroom. Every morning, he'd wake up and he'd look at that picture of the fit man and say to himself, I want to be like that. And so, people very often do this. As a Dominican, I put up an image of St. Dominic. And so when I see what St. Dominic did and I think about his life, well, I get inspired and I want to be just like him. And so these things, when understood properly, don't take us away from the true faith, but rather help us to keep the faith until death. Reflecting on the Baltimore Catechism, I'm Dominican Father Ezra Sullivan. He was a bishop, reformer, and a doctor of the church. Matthew Bunsen and the doctors of the church. St. Basil the Great helped defeat the Arian heresy in the 4th century, but he was also renowned for his love of the poor and most vulnerable, especially through his shelter for the poor, called in his honor the Basiliad. With his friend St. Gregory Nazianzus, he was declared a doctor of the church in 1568. Find out more about the doctors of the church. Visit EWTN.com and click on Catholicism. Hi, this is Cy Kellett. Join us later today on Catholic Answers Live as we do our best to explain and defend the Catholic faith. Catholic Answers Live, 6 p.m. Eastern on EWTN Radio. Now, back to the Sunrise Morning Show. It's 12 till now on the Sunrise Morning Show. Let's take a look at headlines. Israel will be withdrawing several thousand troops from the Gaza Strip, this according to an announcement from the IDF yesterday. The Latin Patriarch of Jerusalem, Cardinal Pierre Battista Pizzaballa, celebrated Mass for the Solemnity of Mary, Mother of God, and World Day of Peace yesterday, saying in his homily, or speaking in his homily about the courage and madness of peace. And in a special Angelus address yesterday on the feast day, Pope Francis offered his prayers for the persecuted church in Nicaragua. 
You can hear news at the top and bottom of each hour right here on the Sunrise Morning Show. It's 11 till. Back with us now on the Sunrise Morning Show is Dr. James Schrader. He's vice president of the Psychology and Wellness Department for Easter Seals Rehabilitation Center. You can find him online with all of his writings at james-schrader.com. Good morning, Doc. Hey, good morning. So, Doc, around this time of year, a lot of people like to make New Year's resolutions, you know, some way that they're going to make life better this year. And obviously, that is a great thing to do. But can you speak to how important it is to, in addition to coming up with a goal for the year, to also make a plan to accomplish that goal? Yeah, you know, plans are kind of important because I think when you think of a plan, it's something that's much more systematic and something that's much more realistic than sometimes our hopes and dreams might be for the new year. And so I think one of the things that happens very often with our resolutions is not that we don't have the intent to change or the desire to change. It's just that we're not very realistic about how we're going to go about and change. Um, So, for example, you know, one of the things, one of the kind of the New Year's traps that we fall into is this too fast, too hard, too quick idea. You know, let's say you haven't been working out, you decide you want to get more fit, right? And you haven't been working out at all pretty much for the last year. And then you decide, well, I'm going to do five days in the gym for an hour every morning. Well, initially that might sound like a great idea, but when you go from nothing to a lot, that's really not the systematic plan that's going to allow you to be successful. That's why, unfortunately, by the end of January, a lot of the gyms seem a lot more empty than they did a few weeks earlier. Yeah, I mean, just to, to put it metaphorically, I mean, if you're hitting the gas too hard, so to speak, you know, you can run out of gas pretty quickly. Yeah, I mean, really, and think about that. It's because I think that we have to realize as human beings, it's really rare that we make dramatic changes in our life all at once. Most of it, most of any change that occurs, whether it's positive or negative, kind of gradually to, happens over time. And so we have to be realistic with ourselves and say, okay, you know what, maybe my long-term goal is to be working out five days a week. But right now, if I'm at zero, then what I always say to people is if you're at zero, well, you know what, even 20 minutes a week is a great success, right? Because zero to 20 minutes means that you are gradually changing in the direction you want to go. And again, you're, you're doing it in a way that's like likely more sustainable. And that, I mean, so often we can, we can look at that crossover between when we're talking about physical fitness and spiritual fitness. I mean, think about yep. that in terms of prayer, for instance. Right. I mean, think about it. If you right now find yourself not praying you know, explicitly very much at all, and then all of a sudden you said, okay, I'm going to do a rosary every single day of the week, and then I'm going to do this on top of it. It's not that we don't want to go that route. It's just that, again, we have to realize as human beings that we have been in, you know, if you're like me in your mid-40s, a lot of the habits that have been created have been created for a long time. So this idea that I can take something that's been going on for years, even decades, and then transform it in the matter of like a month or two is just not really very realistic. And honestly, it's not very well scientifically supported, even for spiritual endeavors. And, you know, we always say we need to keep our eye on the goal, which is true. I mean, we do. We don't want to lose sight of our goal. But how could that mentality also kind of lead us into losing sight of the plan? Yeah. So plan to me is much more about process. And I think you and I have talked about this over the years that I I really believe, and I said this in my newest book, that, you know, um, our God is really a process-oriented God in an outcomes-focused world. 
right? Yeah. And I'll say it again. Yeah. Our God's really process-oriented. Look at all the virtues. Like, tell me what it means to be courageous. You're going to have a hard time coming up with a clear outcome necessarily in your life of like, oh, here's courage and I'm done. What courage is is a lot of process built into, you know, your daily habits and a lot of ways in which you're looking to grow, um, whether it's temperance, other things. So the idea of a plan to me is more about process. And it's not, you know, having goals, that's great. But don't become so wedded to the goal that you automatically assume that if you don't get there exactly the way you think you should, that you failed. Which, by the way, is a whole other part of this that so often people think, oh, well, you know, I was going to work out five days a week and now it's not happening three weeks later and I'm done. Well, Mm -hmm. let's wrap up that resolution and move on. You know what? Actually, failure is totally part of the process of change. And we've seen that whether you're trying to overcome an addiction, whether you're trying to increase prayer, you have to recognize that, you know, failure um, is part of that process. And so there's a really neat acronym, I think, for all your listeners today that consider, and I heard it once and it's really stuck with me, if you think of the word fail, um, think of the four words, so each letter, kind of the first letter of the word, so forever attempt in learning, right? Fail, forever attempt in learning. And when I learned it, I just thought it was kind of a neat thing to remind myself of all the time that as I'm learning, failure is just part of it. And I really do think that those who are most successful in any aspect of life kind of realize that, yep, I'm going to fail quite a bit. Um, And there's always stories throughout our history about, you know, people failing repeatedly only to eventually kind of accomplish something great. And by the way, just to note to listeners, we're discussing um, an article from your archives called Resolving to Make This Year Mean More, which you can find at james-schrader.com. Doc, ultimately, though, I mean, what is the main reason, do you think, that that we will fail, that we could fail in, in a resolution for the year? Yeah, ultimately, I think we just don't go, what I would say, deep enough with where, um, we're, with our goals, right? So you might say, oh, okay, let's say I want to lose 20 pounds. That's, okay, that's fine. Um, but is that really, really what you want? Um, I think we have to kind of look at and ask ourselves, and this is, again, where faith becomes such a part of it. Am I going deep enough? Like, do I want to just lose 20 pounds to look better? Or do I want to lose 20 pounds? That's just part of, you know, a, a goal. But really what I want is to create more joy with the people that I'm around, Right to be able to be more active, to find the Lord in maybe things that are not necessarily like around just eating as we would normally, but find the Lord in, you know, even fasting and other things. What I'm really saying, I think, in this article is that why resolutions often fizzle out is they lack clear connections to more meaningful purposes. And those that do connect with something really deep, really meaningful, again, not that you're not going to fail sometimes, but you're much more likely to find something that's worthwhile to sustain. Amen. Go read more about it over at james-schrader.com, which is linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Great stuff, Dr. Schrader. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks a lot. You bet. And Happy New Year, everybody. Hopefully, Matt and I will be back in somewhat better condition tomorrow. For uh, the feast of the most holy name of Jesus that we will be celebrating tomorrow on a Wednesday. Until then, may God bless you and keep you and grant you his peace. <laughs>